everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today, I have with me uh, Reverend Ben Melchers. Uh, ben, welcome. Thank you. It's it's still a little strange to hear that that title. <laughs> I, I was going to ask. I didn't know if that, that threw you off. Have, have you been hearing that a little bit more? Oh, for sure. The the first Sunday after my ordination service a couple of weeks ago, all of the kids for like the first 35 minutes or so of our time together, like Reverend Benjamin Melchers, can you do this for me or do that? And it was nice. kind of hilarious and a little annoying at the same time. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll try not to continue to annoy you on the podcast <laughs> with that, but uh, in all sincerity, celebrating that with you, excited for you. That That is a major uh, hurdle. I guess we can say hurdle. Um, but uh, excited uh, about your recent ordination. Um, before we get into podcast today, hey, why don't you just tell everybody uh, where you're from, where you're currently ministering, a little bit about your your bio. Yeah. So I grew up in South Carolina, outside of Columbia. I'm one of six kids, four brothers and a sister. I'm smack dab in the middle. And my whole life growing up was... Um, I guess, yeah, all about sports and school and not much else. And um, my whole life, I planned to be a doctor because that's just what our family did. My dad's side of the family, they're mostly doctors and dentists. And generally, if you were decent at school, you were going to be a doctor. And that was what I wanted to do. And I also wanted to make a lot of money and have a comfortable life. So it seemed to, it seemed to make sense. Um, but the Lord, thankfully, as he always does, uh, had a better plan and very long story short, uh, I went to college, was pre-med, um, biomedical engineering, and, uh, was trying to do everything, had, um, a bunch of extra classes I had to take for pre-med tournaments and was involved with every sport possible, uh, did RUF, was involved with my church, um, just was always doing something and generally what I would do is just stay up until three in the morning to, to study and get my homework done so I could do this oh during the day oh. so I had a seizure at the end of my sophomore year and um, it was during that week that I had to drop a bunch of classes missed all my finals it was the weekend before finals of my spring semester wow. and uh, at the end of the week after they'd done all these tests on me they basically said, <clears throat> you had what we call a stress-induced seizure. You're perfectly healthy. You're just stressed out of your mind. So <laughs> whatever you're doing to create stress in your life, you should reconsider it. Uh, and that was, I think, the Lord's loud voice in my head for the first time um, saying, hey, this may not be what I have for you. And so I prayed for the first time as a 20-year-old believer. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Because it had always been, here's what I want to do. Help me do it. And never once had I kind of opened my hands to the Lord and said, Lord, here I am. Send me. Uh, and I thought it was just going to be, okay, now I'm going to be a, a good Christian doctor. I'll just give a lot of money away. I'll witness to my patients. I'll do medical missions trips. Like, I get it. I was being selfish. Learn my lesson. Um, but there was just this sense that I had that that wasn't actually the answer. Uh, and so over the next year or so, continued to pray about it and wrestle with it. And yet also was continuing on the trajectory to, to head to med school. So I um, took the MCATs, I applied to med school, actually got in, and I and I almost made this deal with the Lord of like, okay, if I get in, then I'll, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. But if I don't, then I'll know it's not. But in a very strange way, when I, I got in, it was almost even clearer than it had ever been that that wasn't what I was supposed to do. It was so bizarre. Like I, I can only explain it as the spirit was stirring in my heart. Um, and so I talked to some friends and mentors about it. And I was just like, I'm so confused. I don't know what to do with this because uh, this is all I've ever wanted to do. And I can still do it. Like the Lord hasn't shut a door yet. And as I would talk with them, a few of them would ask, okay, so what else do you love? What else do you enjoy doing? What are your, your passions? 
And so I go through this very long list because I did a lot of things and I loved a lot of things. But on several separate occasions, at the end of that that list, some of these people would say, Ben, you know, you kind of lit up when you talked about RUF and your mm-hmm. church. Like you talked differently when you started talking about those things. So have you ever thought about ministry? Mm-hmm. And I would either audibly laugh and certainly laughed on the inside because I wanted nothing to do with that. Like I, my whole life had been planning to be a doctor because I wanted to make a lot of money, be comfortable and have people respect me for what I did. And you don't really get any of that. <laughs> in <ministry. laughs> um, but several people suggested it. And again, kind of prayed that scary open-handed prayer of, all right, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And very quickly, it just kind of made sense. And I went begrudgingly, or I considered it begrudgingly at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I actually really got excited about it. And um, yeah, after another very long series of events, ended up in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, where I was an RYM church intern with Michael Hall, which was awesome. Um, and thought that was only going to be for two years, but then at the end of those two years, Michael stepped down so he could step into his now role with RYM. And my church, Trinity, uh, asked me to stay on indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And I said yes and thought that would be where I was for the rest of my life because I loved it. I still love it. Uh, and felt like the Lord had um, so much for me to learn and, and do and to grow and be stretched there. And so I transferred from Covenant Seminary to RTS in D.C. so I could continue to do that part-time while I was working full-time. And at the end of, I guess, last summer, um, summer of 2020, I finished seminary. And the whole world was (laughs) turned upside down. Um, So uh, basically, the the plan had been to... Uh, start the ordination process once I finish seminary at Trinity. But because of COVID, all of those things were on hold. And so I was basically asked to wait until things settled, until we knew what COVID was actually going to look like for our church. And I guess it was essentially a hiring freeze. And so I just was kind of put into the six-month limbo of waiting to see what happened. So it's very anticlimactic to spend seven years uh, working on this and then to finish and really nothing changed. Um, but anyway, it was it was definitely a season of frustration and just questioning the Lord of like, what are you what are you doing? This is not the plan. Like, if you remember, my plan was med school, and then you pulled me here. So like, this wasn't even like what I asked for. This is what you gave me, and I've seen how great it is. But why is it? why is it playing out like this? Why is it suddenly up in the air in a way that it has never been? Um, so it was just questioning the Lord. And the whole time I just, I had this sense, he's doing something. Either I'm going to learn something from this. I'll be humbled or learn patience or something like that, or something even much bigger. I just have this sense. He's up to something. I just don't know what it is yet. Um, and so I thought, I knew, once again, thought I knew what he was doing come January or so of this year because those conversations were able to restart. And um, on the day that our session at Trinity was meeting to extend me the pastoral call so I could then start the ordination process, I got a call from a friend out here in Palo Alto uh, <laughs> saying that um, she goes to this really awesome church in Palo Alto, and they were looking for a youth pastor. And for some reason, my name came to mind, and she thought she'd at least reach out. So anyway, that's that was a lot of talking. No, and there's a whole other story that comes after that. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll pause and give you a chance to ask any questions or no, something. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, that's we'll definitely dive into that story. I do have to get back real quick, and I don't know if this is putting you on the spot. Um, remind me, didn't you, when you were at Clemson, Weren't you on the practice squad for the football team? Is that right? <laughs> that was one of the many things I was doing. Yes. <laughs> so t- talk it's not, a, not as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> they just basically beat you up. Is that what they did? Basically. So yeah, I would play receiver for the 
first team defense. So I got pummeled. I was a slot receiver. So I got a, an extra dose of it. Uh, but people always ask, did you think you would ever have like a chance to play? And had no, no delusions of grandeur. Um, on that team, literally all five of the starting receivers are either still in the NFL or had a pretty decent career. So like DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Adam Humphreys, Jerron Brown, Martavis Bryant. Like I had zero chance. <laughs> wow. So no delusions of grandeur. So not nearly as cool as it sounds. I don't know. I'm sure you could keep up with Hopkins a pretty good bit, you know, in a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. No, yeah. I just remembered uh, that coming up somehow. And so I, I wanted to clarify and also put you on the spot a little bit on that, but um, I can't imagine. Okay. Yeah. Going for pre-med and also, yeah. Being on the practice squad on top of that, on top of other I was things. an idiot very clearly, <laughs> which was evident by the fact I had a seizure from doing too many things. So don't do what I do. Yeah. Well, and, and look, part of the reason I got you on here is I was sharing kind of pre-recording one selfishly just to get to catch up with you. Um, cause it's been since last April, since I think we got to see each other at YLT. Um, but also, um, as you, you know, move churches from Charlottesville, Virginia to Palo Alto, California, a massive move. And again, yeah. remembering talking to you about that possibility at YLT, um, I'm confident there are some people out there listening to this podcast and wrestling with, with similar callings. Yeah. You know, if it's moving on from a church uh, to another church or moving on from just ministry to another calling, um, I'd love to hear kind of some of those just wrestlings that you had, as well as some of the advice that people gave you and um, ways in which you, you saw the Lord uh, working yeah. th through the midst of that. I just think that'd be, be helpful for us, us to hear. So take us back maybe to that, that first call where, okay. Yeah conversations are starting at Trinity and at, in the midst of that, all of a sudden you get this call from Palo Alto, California. Yeah. So, um, that first call was certainly one I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, I was driving back through a sleet storm in Charlottesville and just met with a buddy saying, Hey, Trinity is like finally able to have these conversations again. They're meeting tonight. And, one of the elders called me and told me like, it's it's going to happen. So just super pumped about that. And I, it's been a long time coming. So I'm, I'm excited about this. Um, and then I got this call while I was driving back um, from my friend who I had barely met a couple of times. She used to work at a church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and we'd overlapped at some um, summer conferences and knew about each other. But it was definitely a very out of nowhere call. And um, we caught up for a little bit and she works for RUF at Stanford University, which is right down the road from us here. And she told me about this church and that they were looking for a youth pastor. And I told her, her name's Kathleen. I said, Kathleen, uh, this is really awesome. It sounds really cool, but I, I just, I'm not looking. I love where I am. I love my job never felt the Lord calling me away from this place. And literally tonight, our session is meeting to offer me this pastoral call I've been working towards for the past almost eight years. And um, I then made the big mistake of saying, I'd love to at least hear about it. I'd love to at least hear about your church and uh, what this would look like. Just trying to be nice. And um, the first thing she said was that it's in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is the most unchurched slash de-churched region in all of North America, not even just the U.S., but all of North America. Wow. And that they meet with people all the time who had never been to church before, have never opened a Bible and don't know a thing about Jesus. And when she said that, I had this visceral reaction that I think could only, once again, be the Holy Spirit. And immediately pictured myself sitting across from this student like at a table opening a Bible with him for the first time and being so thrilled to do that. And it really caught me off guard because I had been approached by a couple other churches over those six months or so when they heard I had finished seminary and they asked me to consider applying for one of their positions as well. And I told them all no and didn't have a second thought about it. Uh, but there's something so tangibly different to my reaction to this one that I couldn't ignore as much as I wanted to. So she finished her her pitch. And at the end, I said, Kathleen, I really, 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 really 
don't want you to read into this, like get your hopes up or anything. Cause I, I love where I am. I don't want to leave. And literally tonight I'm getting the job offer. So like, I just don't think there's anything here, but I also can't ignore how I just reacted to that. And mm-hmm. I, I need to at least pray about it. But again, like, I really don't want to lead you on or anything. So like, don't even tell the the pastors or tell me, uh, just like, let me pray about it for a couple of days. And so we hung up and I almost immediately was just like, oh no, like, what, <laughs> what is about to happen? I have no idea, but I know that this isn't just going to go away. So anyway, that night did get the call uh, from Trinity and thankfully didn't have to, to say yes on the spot. Um, but I did pray about it for the next few days and um, it would never leave my mind as much as I wanted it to. I just couldn't get rid of this little bug in the back of my mind saying, what about Palo Alto? Um, and so I got a text from one of the pastors out here a couple of days later and it said basically, Hey, Kathleen talked to us. Like, she wasn't <laughs> supposed to, but whatever. Um and she explained everything, so no worries. Like, we totally get your situation. We'd love to at least talk to you if you're interested. And um, I said, sure, I'll, I'll give you one conversation. And we we set up a time to, to meet the next day on Zoom. And I literally prayed before that meeting, Lord, close this door. Like, mm. I do not want this. Uh, I don't like that it's sticking around in my mind. Um, but I, I love where I am. I don't want to leave. So please close this door, make this a bad fit, make this a bad conversation so we can just put this <laughs> wow. to rest. Um, and that day there was a big snowstorm in Charlottesville <laughs> and I get on the Zoom call with two guys living in California, sitting on their back porches and it's 70 degrees and sunny. So I think that was great. Oh, this is off to a great start. Um, cause I, I hate the cold. I'm not like you. Um, but we, started talking and just kind of playing the name game. And immediately there were just these several very bizarre connections. Um, the foremost of which was uh, the pastor who planted Grace, or this is Grace Pres Silicon Valley, where I am. The guy who planted it um, came from Redeemer in New York through their city to city network and planted this church in 2000. He's a guy named Drew Field. And he was here for 10 or 11 years or so. And at the end of those 10 years, he accepted a call to go to Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, <laughs> where he was executive pastor and hired me uh, back in 2013. Wow. And I hadn't made the connection that this was, oh, this is Drew's church um, until that call. And Drew, Drew's the reason I was hired and offered the extension as well after Michael stepped down and it's my biggest advocate, like biggest supporter um, would bend over backwards to help me out and just love the guy, like felt so cared for and supported by him. Um, and so to hear, oh, this is his church, like immediately made me a little more interested and also a little more trusting. I'm like, this isn't some totally random church. Like I know the DNA and the foundation of this church. So that was a big first one. Um Another random one was, uh, so David Jones and Iron Kim are the two pastors I talked to. Uh, David planted RUF at Stanford at about the same time Drew uh, came out here as well. So they were good friends. And he had uh, a student at Stanford named Chrissy Guerra, who upon graduation did the RYM church internship with none other than Michael Hall when he was in St. Louis. And Michael has had two RYM interns Ever, and it was me and Chrissy Guerra. So he <laughs> intimately knew Michael and the RYM internship, which not everybody does. Uh, so that was another crazy connection. And just the funniest one was uh, the woman who was their interim director for their, their teen ministry out here just moved to Charlottesville with her husband this summer because he's going to business school at UVA. So just such a bizarre list of connections we made in like 10 minutes and I was sitting there thinking well this is not going how I want it to um and just again had this sense this is this is gonna end somewhere I may not want it to um so, so just to interject yeah, so, I mean 
you're having this call and all these connections are being made. I mean, are you just before this phone conversation is over, are you thinking this is where the Lord's calling me? I don't want it to be. And again, you already praised, play, prayed, close the door and yeah, <laughs> this is happening. I, I definitely had some sense that it very well might be. I definitely didn't know at that point that oh, this is where I'm going to be, but it, mm-hmm. it also just was very clearly not going to go away. Um, and yeah, so I, I talked to them and um, to their credit, they pitched it really bleakly. Like they weren't trying to sell me on this thing, like how exciting of an opportunity this is, like what a great, easy, cushy life you'll have. But they said basically like, yeah, this, this place doesn't know Jesus and nobody's ever really been able to make youth ministry work out here. Young life struggles out here. Like nobody has figured this out yet. And you're going to have to be willing to experience rejection and failure time and time again, and just get back up and keep going. Like that's, that's what it takes out here. Hmm. Um, and that was one of the very first things they told me. So if you asked me before that conversation, I would have been like, yeah, if I hear that, I'm out. Like, I don't want anything <laughs> to do with that. Um, but again, just kind of felt this sense of excitement and burden for an opportunity like that, that really surprised me. Um, and I also just really appreciated their honesty. Like they weren't mm-hmm. trying to pull a fast one on me. It's like, these are guys I can trust. Um, and so that, that conversation ended kind of in the same place it did with my friend Kathleen. It's like, guys, I, I really don't want to lead you on here. Like I, I love where I am. I have had many opportunities to leave Charlottesville over the years and have never thought twice about any of them because I love it. I love where I am. And yet I am drawn to this. I'm burdened by this in a way that I I can't ignore. And I I just need to keep praying about this, but I really don't want you to, to get your hopes up um, or to feel like I'm leading you on if I say no in the end. And they were super gracious and understanding about that and said, basically, yeah, let's, let's keep talking. Let's set up another time this week to talk. So that afternoon, I uh, talked to a few people at Trinity that I knew and loved and trusted. And it's basically like, guys, I need to talk. <laughs> the craziest thing is happening to me and I don't know what to do with it. And so I talked with one of our elders I met with um, every week or so. Uh, so a man that knows me super well and is just a dear, dear shepherd in our, our church back there. And um, I was talking to him about this. His name's Bill. It's like, Bill, I am so confused. Like literally the day that Trinity offers me the call that I've been working towards for eight years, I get this call from another church, which has happened before, but there's something so different about this. I'm just so frustrated. I'm like, why now? Why after all this time, is this the one time that I consider another option? And I told him, I was like, Bill, I just, I feel like whatever I do, I'm going to have to live with this. What if, what if for the rest of my life? And what if I say yes to Trinity, which I'm almost certain I'm going to. And a year later or so, I just like still can't shake this other opportunity in California. Did I just say no? Because I was afraid because I had a, a great life in Charlottesville. I loved my community and my job, which there's nothing wrong with that. But did I say no to a really, remarkable opportunity for gospel ministry in a place that needs it just because I was afraid. Um, So am I going to live with that guilt for the rest of my life? And then what if even crazier, I say yes to Palo Alto. And then a year from then, I'll have found myself failing time and time again with no hope in sight and have left like the dream job and the dream community and church. And yeah, what if I say yes and just regret walking away from the greatest thing I've had um, just to come out and fail in a place that I don't know anybody. So like, Bill, I'm just so frustrated. I don't know what to do with this. And he said, Ben, you know, I think the Lord's actually being extravagantly kind to you right now. I said, do tell. (laughs) I don't feel (laughs) that. Explain Um, that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And he said, you know, if, if the Lord calls you away from Trinity, like it will have to be so clear that that's where you're supposed to be. And how amazing is that, that the Lord would fling open a door like that for you? Um, Cause that's what it's gonna take. And how exciting is that? 
And, you know, if, if this does close, then you get to stay at Trinity without a shadow of a doubt that this is where you're supposed to be. So I actually think the Lord is being really kind to you right now wow. because you have two wonderful options. Yes. And thankfully I was able to, to actually let that sink in and be like, actually, I think you're right. Like there really is no bad outcome here. Mm-hmm. And so that totally freed me up to consider this in a way that I never would have otherwise. Um, and basically once again, prayed that, that scary prayer, opened my hands to the Lord. I'm like, all right, do what you're going to do. Uh, if this continues to go well, then I think this may be where you're calling me. But if, if there's any red flags or any closed doors along the way, then make those clear so I can officially put this to rest. So anyway, we, we talked um, several times over the coming weeks, uh, me with those pastors, and then got to talk with some of the staff and a few of the families out here. Um, got to meet with their session as well. And every step of the way, I would pray, Lord, make this clear one way or the other. And every conversation I was feeling myself getting more and more excited to have because I was just really feeling myself begin to not just like the, the sense of call and burden had been there from the very beginning, but it almost felt like Nineveh. Like, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. I would rather be where I am. Um, yes, I know that's a need, but I don't want it. I don't want to go. So I'm going to keep going my way. So that's what I thought this would be if it turned out to be where I was heading. Um, And yet I felt every day, every week that passed a growing excitement for it as well. And um, went out there for a visit after the the conversations had gone on long enough for us to to both be pretty serious about it. So I went out for a visit um, at the beginning of April and it just felt so perfect and so right. And uh, just a great fit on both ends. And I think what I realized over those those conversations was that this was what I didn't even know I was looking for. Hmm. I, I had loved Trinity, still do, and had grown so much in my years there. Like I'm a completely different person than I was when I first got there. Uh, but I do think I was getting to this place of complacency and this sense of, oh, I know what I'm doing now. Like, I've got this figured out. I know Charlottesville. I know these kids. Like, I know what I'm doing. Uh, so there wasn't this dependence upon the Lord like there used to be. In my first year there, years there, I felt so inadequate and so incapable and was very humble before the Lord. Of like, I'm, I'm so painfully aware I can't do this without you. So lead me. Uh, and that had kind of slowly died off over the, the years after as I got more and more comfortable. Hmm. And I wasn't really aware of that until this other thing came to the table. And I told them at the very beginning, I was like, I don't think I'm the guy. Like, I don't know anything about the West Coast. I don't know anything about life out there. Like, I've always lived in the Bible Belt. Like, are you sure you want me to come out there? Um, and so it just had this sense of, I will have to daily go before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Would you guide me, lead me, give me the wisdom and discernment to do what you would have me do? That was so painfully, obviously going to be a part of my life out here. And in a strange way, I was really drawn to that. I I want that dependence again. I want to feel that, that sense of humility and um, the impossibility of ministry apart from Jesus. And so that was a real big draw. And just, yeah, I think my heart has always been drawn to those that are are lost and doubting and questioning, which is why I love youth ministry, because it's such a time of questioning and doubt. Mm-hmm. And I love sitting with somebody and saying like, hey, let's let's unpack that. It, it may be more, there may be more there than you think. And I also think the Lord is so much more gracious and kind to us than we think he is when it comes to doubt. Like he is perfectly capable of handling our questions. Like he is not going to be afraid of those or they won't be too big for him to handle. And I know in my own life, and I've seen time and time again, when somebody wrestles with something and comes out on the other side of things um, with a deeper sense of who the Lord is, like that's a, a life-changing experience to have wrestled with something and define like the Lord really is who he says he is. 
Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I love youth ministry is I, I love getting the opportunity to meet with these kids who are questioning everything. I'm like, yeah, do like, the Lord can handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants you to wrestle. And so was just really drawn to the nature of ministry out here as well. Um, so anyway, in the end, after that, at the end of that visit, I officially accepted the job, which was so surreal and crazy. Um, but it just was so clear to me at that point that this wasn't just where the Lord wanted me to be, but where I actually wanted to be. Um, which I just, I truly thought was in, impossible. I never thought I would willingly walk away from Trinity uh, because I loved it. And I, I really did think that if the Lord ever called me away, it would be to Nineveh and I would go kicking and screaming. <laughs> but here I was like actually so excited about yeah. what was in store. So mm. anyway, That's... said yes and moved out here at the end of May. I've been here for almost six months now. And that, that's so encouraging to hear. And it's awesome just to be reminded of the Lord's faithfulness. And yes, he calls us to places we we <laughs> may be praying against, um, but just to see, as your, your mentor pointed out, his kindness, his goodness, his his faithfulness. Um, it's awesome to highlight that. And, and you know, I wanted to have you come on and kind of share some of that. And, and hopefully much of that is going to resonate with those who, who listen. Um, but another reason I wanted to get you on as well is to, to talk about ministry out in, in Palo Alto. Um, that part of what we try to do on this podcast is to have people on who are from all over the place. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we had Chris Morphew on who's out in Australia. And just to kind of hear the different context and where God's people are, are seeking to be faithful and how that looks different. And I mean, you said you grew up in the Bible Belt and now here you are. I mean, just, you know, Facebook is in your back, backyard and Google and uh, um you know, vastly different context. So maybe, you know, now that you're there, um, what are some of the biggest differences uh, that you've noticed in life? And I see you smiling already. It just seems like so many obvious, but tell us some of, yeah. some of the differences. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you asked that because there, there definitely are some major ones, but I've at the same time been really surprised by how it doesn't feel that crazy different. Um I think the best way I can think to put it is, is people are people, people are people everywhere and sin issues are the same everywhere as well. Uh, They just may manifest themselves a little differently. Sure. So in one sense, it it really doesn't feel that crazy different. And I think part of the reason for that is also that this is a part of California that nobody really grew up in that still lives here. So many people have come to this place for a job or for grad school at Stanford. Um, so you have all sorts of people from the Southeast. And uh, in one sense, it feels kind of familiar because at the very least, I'm not alone. I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb as this guy mm-hmm. from South Carolina. Like everybody's from all over the place. We've all come to this place. So it's truly diverse. Like I think it's equal percentages Asian and white, and then everything in between, truly people from all over the world. Um, so that that definitely feels a little different, but it doesn't feel like I stick out. I don't feel like I don't belong, which I'm really grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I think the way I've described it, so Charlottesville is where UVA is, which is one of the top public schools in the country. Great school. Um, a lot of very intelligent, successful people live in Charlottesville. And so, of course, that trickles down to their kids. So all of our kids were trying to at the least get into UVA. That's kind of your measure of worth is can you get into UVA? And if not, then you have to settle for some of these other terrible schools that we have in <laughs> Virginia, like Virginia Tech or Richmond or something like that. Um so there's definitely a, an achievement busyness culture there. Like, Got to build the resume because that's what defines me. So my time there, I'll talk all the time about your identity is in Christ, your identity is in Christ. None of these things will ever satisfy you like you think they will. Um, and it's just, it's so cool to look back over my life and see how the Lord has worked in my own life to prepare me for the places I've gone. Cause my own story was the same. It's like, I, was a slave to success and to building the resume and tying my sense of worth to what I could produce. And so I think I 
I have a, a more of an empathetic heart to those that are, are walking that same path that I did. Mm-hmm. So anyway, saw that all the time in Charlottesville. Uh, but there's also this weird other category that I saw getting bigger and bigger a little bit every year there of these kids that kind of approach things the opposite of they see all these other people that are so gifted and good at what they do where they make this decision basically to say I I can't measure up I'm not as good as everybody else is so I'm not even going to try because I don't want to try and fail it's just easier not to try and not fail or to fail without even trying because then I don't feel inadequate so I'm going to be the funny kid or I'm going to be the sporty kid um and so I saw a growing category of those kids every year, which was fascinating. But anyway, moving out here, the way I've described it is it's like Charlottesville just with every notch turned up, or like <laughs> one more notch or something like that, uh, because I now live in the shadow of arguably the best university in the world, certainly the, the top school in the country, like lower acceptance rate, higher ratings than Harvard, Yale, like crazy. Um, and all of our kids are the, the children of some of the most successful people in the world. It is so expensive to live here, uh, that you, you really have to be the best at what you do to get a job here and to afford living here. Um, so the, the people that live here are just truly the cream of the crop from the whole world. And it is also, and I think pretty obviously so, um, one of the highest teen suicide rates in the country because it is just this absolute pressure cooker of a place um, where these kids are aiming for literally the the best schools in the world. They are all trying to make it into Ivy's or Stanford. Um, The Cal schools, which are great, are not even on the table for these kids. Like that would be a total failure. Wow. Uh, so it just feels like it feels familiar to Charlottesville, but just ramped up even more. Um, so that that's definitely been a change in people. I, it's funny. Everybody I've ever talked to in youth ministry says like families are so busy. And it's true. It's true everywhere. Um, <clears throat> and it was true in Charlottesville. But it is certainly true here. And what I've learned is there because there's no cultural Christianity here, like there's nothing sacred about Sundays. So all these kids are <clears throat> taking every AP, they're involved in multiple sports and instruments and robotics and programming and all these things. And then those things happen um, sometimes on weeknights, but almost always on Sundays because Saturdays are like tournament days or, or something, but like sports in general happen on Sunday mornings here because mm. there's just, that's the only time that wasn't already taken. Um, and so, yeah, the, the biggest challenge I've experienced thus far is these kids are so busy. Like there really isn't any free time in their schedules and there's really no room for church in their lives. And nobody's really willing to make a sacrifice because if you don't do all these things then you truly do get left behind. Hmm. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's an impossible decision to make out here to say no to these things for something that doesn't give like a, an immediate and apparent uh, reward or benefit to doing it. There really isn't a consequence for not going to church immediately. Like there would be for not, taking cello or not playing on this travel volleyball team. Hmm. Um, but I think the longer and longer you make that decision to not make this thing a part of your life, obviously we know the eternal consequences that come from that. And so that's, hmm. I think the, <clears throat> the unpopular message I'm going to have to, to bring here. Mm-hmm. The Lord actually does call us to make sacrifices, to live a costly obedience. And if that potentially means your child not going to Stanford, then guess what? That that isn't actually the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but I'm not not going there quite yet, <laughs> at least not quite so bluntly until I actually get to know some people yeah. better. But yeah, that okay. that definitely feels different. You've got to get some parents on your side before you start trying to <laughs> yeah. change yeah. that uh, motto <laughs> in the home. But two reactions to that one is 
I'm going to start using uh, busyness l less frequently than I do down here, just in my context compared to your context. But, but two, just kind of practically, you know, I hear you describe that context and it, it makes sense just thinking of your location. How are you able to get with students or are you able to get with students? I mean, it seems like if they, if they say yes to a cup of coffee with you, they're sacrificing yeah. you know, <laughs> your resume. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear that. So that was <laughs> it's a great question. That was one of the first oh no moments I had when I moved out <laughs> here. It's like I don't know what to do because my strategy has always been, yeah, like let me get to know you one on one. Let's get to know each other. Um so we can develop this relationship and this trust. And I can I love I, I love the the young life phrase, like earn the right to be heard. Like, nobody's gonna listen to you until they know that they love you. And so all about that. Um and when I got out here, first of all, I had the immediate awareness of, gosh, it is going to be so hard to find any time. And, and even a, then, a cup of coffee is going to be $15 out there too. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It is so <laughs> absurd. Um, but that was definitely the first thing I noticed. Like it's going to be really difficult to find any time in these kids' schedules. But then even when I did, there's, it's so bizarre, but it, it, I think it makes sense now that I've been here a little longer. There isn't really any culture of discipleship. Like nobody has this sense of, oh, you're an older, wiser person who wants to meet with my kid. Like that makes sense to me. If anything, people are, I think, naturally suspicious and afraid of that. It's like, what's your agenda here? Like, are you going to tell my kids things I don't believe in? Are you going to abuse them? Like there, there isn't this inherent trust that I mm -hmm. felt in South Carolina or Charlottesville. Like you work at the church, you're a Christian adult. We want our kids to be spending time with you, looking up to you. So that was another thing I realized. It's like, I have to start from maybe even below ground zero here. of like, here's what this isn't. And here's what this is. And having to build this, this trust with families before I can even get any time with their kids. Um, <clears throat> so that was definitely a big surprise. Uh, but since then, I think it's definitely been a growing process. Uh, like I've seen the fruit begin to, to be born as people realize what this is more than what it isn't. And I think somebody who's lived out here for a long time, as I was sharing this, just frustration and questioning with him. Like, I don't know what to do with this. He said, <laughs> basically, um, everybody in their life has a very clear purpose. Like they meet with this tutor to get better at this. They meet with this coach to get better with, at this. They meet with this person to get experience in this. And I said, basically, this this may be what you have to kind of pitch yourself as. It's like, you're there. <laughs> Christian coach or something like that. So I was and, thinking life coach. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the language that will mm -hmm. make sense to people. Oh, now I know what that is. Mm -hmm. And then like, as you kind of get your foot in the door, you can say, no, I'm not actually a coach. And actually this really matters. The fact that there isn't, again, this like immediate tangible uh, benefit to spending time with me or some of our volunteers. Like, I want to help you see what, again the eternal benefits and consequences are for helping your kids think about their own spiritual formation like this isn't something to do when you have literally nothing else going on it's funny i i literally got an email from the family that was uh looking to to come check out our church that said hey we uh we were at this last church but just never really felt connected uh, so we're checking out your church. Can you tell me when you meet? Because we're very busy and we want to make sure it fits our schedules. Um, because here are all the other things we have going on. So basically they had like a two hour window on Sundays that if it didn't fit into that, then they just weren't going to come check out our church. Mm. First of all, can't imagine why you didn't feel connected at your last church. <laughs> um, and secondly, it just, it was so painfully obvious to me that this family considered this to be just another thing to sign mm. their kids up for. Like I signed them up for soccer, I signed them up for cello, and I signed them up for church. And it was no different from any of those other things. Hmm. So that's that's kind of the culture of the people. We talk about the people in this category of they're, they're orbiting our church out here. These aren't hmm. necessarily our core families. So there is still a temptation for them to do that. And they're having to consciously make these decisions time and time again.
uh, to say no to some things and, and yes to the church. But these other families that are kind of loosely religious and orbiting, like that's the kind of attitude that they have. Um, it's, this is just yet another activity to sign up for. So as I'm hearing all that, I'm just trying to think of, you know, one, okay, where do you begin? And I think, I mean, you're sharing a lot of wisdom of just, okay, having the kind of, this is a marathon, this is not a sprint. I'm going to take some time to just allow these families to get to know me. Are you even able to have any kind of programs or even a periodic get together? I mean, hey, let's go see a movie together. Let's go play Ultimate Frisbee. Let's do something. Like, is that just foreign um, to, to people out there? It is in one sense. And um, yeah, I I think what I've learned so far is the best time to get people here is mealtimes. Like they don't often have something planned over lunch or over dinner because you have to eat. So might as well eat with other people. So another big challenge of this place is space. It is the most expensive place to live in the country. And there's just truly no space here. And it, it kind of makes sense. Um, I, I remember coming out here and being like, why Why is every building like only two stories tall? No wonder it's so expensive, but earthquakes. So you can't really build up. Mm. So everything is already kind of maxed out in terms of expansion. And this church has been around for 20 years and it's pretty sizable, like five or 600 people. And they've never had their own building just because it is so expensive. But the Lord, in a way that only he could, uh, in the past, in, in last year during COVID, there's this old Baptist church that had been around for 100 years that had been really struggling for a while, but COVID was kind of the death blow. So they closed their doors and they wanted to sell their building to another church and not to a developer. Um, <clears throat> and so we were able to buy this building for the first time in 20 years. And it's literally in a neighborhood where Steve Jobs' widow lives next door. Larry Page owns several houses. Like the average home cost there is probably seven or $8 million. And we got this building that is pretty sizable. Like sits 450 in the sanctuary, has a fellowship hall, classrooms, offices, and four whole parking spaces. <laughs> um, but we got this building that I, I would imagine the land alone is probably worth 30 plus million dollars uh, that's what like I'm... seven million dollars because they wanted to sell to a church yeah and then a... that money is going to the big c church like it's not going to a, a wealthy family or, or a, a company like it's going back to the lord and his kingdom work so it's just so clearly something only the lord could have done so anyway that, super that's amazing i just have to it is to so say amazing that, that that church to do that because you think of i mean how much money they could have sold that for totally. um, that, that's unreal that's awesome it is truly unreal um so so cool uh, so exciting so we have a space for the first time in the church's history it's being renovated right now so it's not ready yet but anyway space is a big issue here and soon it will be less of one by god's providence and the amazing blessing that's going to be uh, so anyway, we are meeting um, at a local community center until then, meeting outside because the weather is always perfect and you can. Just so, stop it. Yeah, I know. Stop. It's it's pretty great. My goal in this whole podcast is to get a whole <laughs> host of new people moving to California to join me in the work of youth ministry and RYM and the church out here because it's mm. amazing. Um, anyway. So space is an issue. Uh, so we're currently meeting as a, a youth ministry after church uh, over lunch. So once people are there for church, we just have one of the, the spaces in this community center reserved. So that's our kind of weekly gathering. Um, I'm hoping to, in the start of the new year, start a um, Sunday night like Bible study small group thing uh, for middle and high schoolers, guys and girls. And again, space will kind of be the issue there until we have the new building, because it would be virtually impossible to not have it at the same time in the same place for families. Like it, there just isn't time for them to be driving to three different locations on three different nights. It just, it won't happen. So um, there are some things for sure. It's definitely just less on people's uh, radars to do things with the church here than it is where I'm from 
Um, so there's certainly no like Wednesday night culture or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely, definitely new, new context. And it's funny that you asked like, do you play ultimate or any of these things with them? Uh, this place, <laughs> at least the, the current crew that we have, like, these are, these are brilliant people. Like sports mm-hmm. aren't that important to people. Um, it's honestly probably more a thing to put on your resume than it is something that you truly love. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's not the sportiest of groups. <laughs> <laughs> they love trivia. So we do a lot of that. Um, but yeah, so that, and it's funny, I, you're asking like, how are the kids different? And it was really, really sweet to see. So we had a, a big beach retreat on Labor Day weekend here. And uh, again, a lot of like pretty, intelligent somewhat like geeky like a little more introverted um gamer type kids that's kind of the the general gist of of kids out here um and so we have a fair number of those and there were some new families in the church um some new kids that have been coming that also fit that mold and in charlottesville i would have been very concerned for them like you're going to struggle here i'm going to have to constantly remind everybody else like hey love this person, welcome this person. Um, you never know like what you can learn from somebody. Like you don't just immediately write them off because of who they are. Didn't have to do that at all at this retreat. Like it just happened and they were immediately unfolded and it was awesome, really beautiful to see. And so I was so encouraged and was like singing our kids' praises. And then a couple of weeks later, we had this family um, who just moved here from Dallas and the dad is like 6'10", former athlete. The boys are like 6'3", 6'5", like great athletes, super fun and extroverted and personable. And they were straight up ignored. By <laughs> like they, they just didn't know what to do with them. Uh, and so it's just been so funny to see everything kind of flipped on its head of mm-hmm. the cool kids here are the geeks and the ones on the outside looking in are the like extroverted cool athletes wow. so it's just it's really funny uh totally different context in that regard but i mean those those kids in that second category do exist mm-hmm. and so my the challenge is going to be how do i get them to give each other the time of day mm-hmm. um so yeah that's that's kind of what it looks like right now and i i love yeah i loved what you said it's a marathon not a sprint like that's what i'm having to tell myself every day because I came from a place that was really well-established. I, I stepped into it when it was well-established. Like it wasn't anything I created. I just maintained and tweaked over the past eight years. Um, so we we did so much that was really awesome at Trinity. And then coming here, I want to just like copy and paste all of that here, but I, I can't. Mm-hmm. There's so much that has to be done first. And it, it's been a real lesson in in patience and trust to have come from a place where like I see where this can be and I want to just get there right away but that that's not how it works so I've had to put so many things that I really care about basically on hold until we lay a found foundation the groundwork for this ministry because it it isn't Mm -hmm. really there yet so Mm -hmm. that's definitely been a challenge yeah no that's that's fascinating uh Ben it's helpful for me just to I mean, one, again, hear your story and hear how the Lord has called you out there. Um, but it's just, it's encouraging to hear how vastly different that context is and to hear, you know, Christ's church is still there. You know, it, it has a presence in Palo Alto and to, to know you're out there and you're striving to tell uh, kids about Jesus. Um, it's an encouragement to me. Um, that there's so many other questions. It's like, as you're talking, I'm just having these other questions that are popping up and maybe we can get you back on to to discuss more. Um, but anything else you'd like to share kind of as we, we close out any other thoughts? Yeah. I mean, going off what you just said, it has been so exciting, encouraging and humbling to see all that the Lord is doing here because it is, it is amazing what he's up to here, not just at our church, but just in the area. Um, <clears throat> but even at our church, like we are exploding. We have so many new people that are coming. Um, and again, from all walks and backgrounds and some people that have been going to the church their whole lives or some people who've truly never been to church, like almost every week we have somebody that's coming to our church who's never been to a church before, doesn't know anything about Jesus. There's 
this man a few um, weeks ago who came, was invited by a friend and he heard the sermon and was just completely overwhelmed by it in the best way. And then over the next couple of days, he read the first 10 books of the Bible and wow. was just so hungry and had so many questions. I'm like, those are the, the hardest awesome. books. Like just wait till he gets to the <laughs> like, gospel. He, those, get he to meets Jesus. Yeah. Like so that was awesome. And um, we've literally had people walk in off the street because they were curious. Like it's incredible. Every week this happens. Um, one of our churches that were like our sister church in Oakland, uh, it's called Res Oakland. They had a sermon series over the summer. And one of the sermons was on sexuality. And he, the pastor um, started by basically lamenting that the church has been such an unsafe place for people that wrestle with their sexuality. Um, and, but, so that's kind of how he started this, this place of asking forgiveness of repenting um and saying like this place we want to be a place of welcome for you wherever you are um and then he also said that this is what i believe the lord says about sexuality is that marriage is made for one man and one woman and this is why this is beautiful um and i think one big another big difference i've seen here is that there really aren't any hypotheticals here like the people that you talk about in the southeast that are out there like you you know 10 of them here like hmm. transgenderism isn't a hypothetical here homosexuality not a hypothetical like all these things they they're everywhere and it was so amazing after this sermon there were a couple um women in like long-term lesbian marriages that left their marriages and are going to this church because Wow. They heard truth and they want more of it. And now they're saying like, we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know what to do with our spouse who isn't coming and doesn't want anything to do with us. And is so hurt and confused. And we have children. Like, what is our, what is our role here? Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, what an amazing thing to happen. Like, these mm-hmm. lives are truly being changed every week here by the gospel, by people who are hearing truth for the first times and, are just so hungry for more and drawn to it. And so it's just so exciting and humbling to get to witness what the Lord is doing here because there's just, there's so much opportunity. And I think the an encouraging thing is nobody's really antagonistic towards Christians. They're mostly just indifferent. It's like, yeah, that's what you do. That's great. This is what I do. Uh, but then there's a whole other group of people that are so curious and hungry once they they even get a little taste of the goodness and truth of jesus and uh, here's the last one i'll tell you we have this Mm -hmm. couple from germany as at our church a couple weeks ago and they literally told one of our staff people like what's the catch this is this is too good to be true like what is the catch here like it's jesus there is no catch it is too good to be true so all i had to say like it is just such an amazing place to be doing ministry because the Lord is doing some remarkable things. Uh, but at the same time, I will say it's, it's giving me fresh eyes for the need in the South as well. The South is, I think, becoming complacent. Like everybody's a Christian, but how yeah. many lives are actually changed by the gospel? Hmm. Um, so I think it's so obvious here, but it's, it's made it more apparent to me how desperate the need for true gospel renewal in the South is as well. Hmm. Hmm. And Ben, I, I cannot thank you enough. Um, again, just those last few stories that you sh- shared, it's, I'm thinking, okay, we could have just a podcast on each one of those and, and hear more, yeah, more details, totally. but um, no, it's so encouraging to be reminded of that. And just that, that uh, kind of last challenge at the end as well. Um, those who aren't in those contexts like yours, um, you know, being humbled by that and um, yeah, to, to hear the work that's taken place, uh, Ben. I, I know, again, as we were talking before, you've got a full day ahead of you. Uh, you've got a lot more going on. So it means a lot that you take the time to, to come on and share a bit of your story. And, and hopefully we'll get you back on again before too long. Yeah, I mean, I'm truly learning something new every week out here. So I'll have lots to talk about. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ben. Hey, John, great to see you. And I'll see you in January. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, Wild Tea. And those who are listening, sign up for Wild Tea uh, in Nashville or in Paradise, Pennsylvania. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh.